Uh, if you're ready to get into today's talk, I want you to open your Bible, if you can, to John chapter 8. And um, we're, we're not too far away from having the ability to start putting verses on the screens and stuff. And so if you don't have a Bible with you, we'll, we'll have it on your TV eventually. Uh, but we've been going through the book of John every week for the last eight weeks because we're on John 8. And so our goal is to spend 21 weeks going through John. And then we'll step into kind of team training and getting ready for the plant. But uh, we're going to read 11 verses in John chapter 8. And I'm going to kind of give you this message like I feel God gave it to me. I was... I just want to be honest, this week felt different for me. I felt like I had this pocket of focus. I feel like I had some attention to give God. And um, I feel like this, this message is really going to bless you and hopefully inspire you. So John chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 1, if you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. If you need a minute, say minute. John chapter 8, here reads the word of the Lord. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. I want you to stop right there. Many of the miracles and signs that Jesus did took place in the middle of church. Like the Bible says he was in the temple, he was teaching, and he wouldn't wait, you know, till church was over to let God do something. So he was in the temple, he was teaching, and the Bible says as he was speaking, religious leaders and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. She, they put her in front of the crowd, and they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. She was sleeping with somebody that is not her spouse. Okay, just want you to see how scandalous this is. Jesus is preaching a sermon, and in walks religious leaders with a woman probably in clothes, you know, with a cloth over her or something, but she had just been caught, and they immediately expose her and bring her to the church. And uh, verse 5 says this, Moses, the law of Moses said that we should stone her. This is obviously an Old Testament law that says if someone's caught in the act of adultery, uh, according to the law of Moses, the book of Leviticus, particularly chapter 20, tells us that you should stone somebody that commits adultery. Now, let me just say this for all the people that right away want to check out. Just because something is described in the Old Testament does not mean that it's prescribed. Right. Okay, one more time. It, just because the Bible describes something doesn't necessarily mean it's prescribed. Like, that means you should do it. Okay, the Bible is, is, is now Jesus came and fulfilled the word. So it's basically like Old Testament thinking. They say, Moses says we should stone her. Look at verse 6. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote in the dust with his finger, and they kept demanding an answer from him. You ever felt like that? Where like people are trying to trap you into saying something, and then they won't leave you alone until they tell you, you know, you tell them what they want to hear. Very appropriate message for today, especially Facebook. Uh, verse 8. Then he stooped. Oh, sorry, verse 7. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up and he said, all right, let's stone her. But the one who is without sin, you throw the first stone. Mm -hmm. He stooped down, wrote in the dust again, and when the accusers heard this, they walked away one by one, beginning with the oldest first, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I want to title this message today, if you're taking notes, uh, caught up and held close, caught up and held close, caught up and held close. Would you pray with me together? Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Thank you for the space that you've given us um, just to learn about you and know the plan you have for us. Um, Holy Spirit, I ask you'd make these words real, that people wouldn't just, just hear these things coming from a preacher or, or just from you know, a brother-in-law. They would come from you, God, that this would be your word. So we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Caught up, but held close. I was uh, watching my goddaughter not too long ago, and her mom was out running some errands and stuff. And, and I love my goddaughter. We play all the time and get to do different things. And I kind of go kind of go little kids sometimes with her. And so we were in the living room playing, and, and we were talking about something, and like an ad for cookies came on. And she was like, cookies? And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, but I don't think we can have cookies right now. And she's like, cookies, cookies, cookies. And I'm like, nah, nah, no cookies. And then she's, you know, I was like, we have them. You know, you can have them later. And believe it or not, I had had some Oreos the night before with some milk, and they were sitting on the counter. And so she's like, okay, okay. She disappears. And eventually I come around the corner. Would you believe it or not? Everly, my goddaughter, is on top of the stool in the kitchen, and she is reaching over for the Oreos. She's got into the bag. She's got her hand on an Oreo. And right when I come around the corner, Everly is sitting there with an Oreo, and I look and I go, and she had this look on her where she was like, I got caught up. Like, you got me. I know I wasn't supposed to have Oreos for breakfast, but you got me. And I, I had this moment when I was prepping this week, and I said, isn't that a lot how God looks at us? Because I came around the corner, and here's Everly with an Oreo halfway into her mouth, and all I could do was just smile. I knew that she was doing something wrong. I knew that there was a standard that had been laid out for her. Don't eat Oreos for breakfast. It's a pretty common standard in America, hopefully. Um, you know, here's what you shouldn't do. And believe it or not, I come around the corner, and that's exactly what she's doing. I think in our relationship with God, we, we put too much pressure on ourselves. I think there's moments where you and I have been caught up doing something we shouldn't be doing. The reality is the Bible says we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. What is sin? It basically means missing the mark. The easiest way to define it is here's the bullseye, and when you and I try to hit the bullseye, we miss it. Truth of the matter is we're going to miss it again and again and again. I've learned something, I think, lately. When we sin, when we make mistakes, like this woman, the question isn't how guilty do we feel about our sin? There's been this thing in the church that's like, hey, let's try to make people feel guilty so that they walk around with their heads down and they come to church. And while there is a good thing to be convicted of sin, it is not a good thing to always feel guilty but never do anything about your sin. We're stepping into a day and age where Everybody has a different idea of what's right and what's wrong, and I'll get into that in a second. But I think it's never been more important that you and I recognize as followers of Jesus, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to fall short, but God calls us to growth anyways. Uh, the Bible says in John chapter 1, it says, for the law of God came through Moses. We talked about that. That's the standard. Don't do this, don't do that. You know, all that came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Do you like Grace. Yeah, grace is a good thing. You ever shown somebody grace before? It's hard. Grace is messy. You know, the reality is people are going to hurt us. They're going to betray us. They're going to do things that are wrong. But again, the question is not, are they worthy of the grace? The question is, do you believe that grace is for everybody? So the Bible says grace came through Jesus, grace and truth. And, and I want you to see what happens with this woman. Jesus meets her with grace, but then he gives her truth. He says, no one's going to condemn you. And then the truth was, go and sin no more. So it's important we realize what's happening in John 8 is essential for our understanding of sin, grace, forgiveness, and all that. I'll give proper treatment to all of John 8 another time uh, because there's just so much in there. Uh, probably on our podcast, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do some things. But I want to just focus on verse 11 today, and I'll give you three things that I think God's calling us all to. 
But in verse 11, look back at it if you got your Bible, and, and we'll wait. Um, John chapter 8, as you know, is this tense moment. This woman's been caught sleeping with someone else's spouse. Uh, they bring her in front of Jesus. Scholars say that, you know, it was interrupted by the church, like the church service got interrupted by this woman. So let's just put ourselves into the situation so we can get the seriousness of it. Imagine right now while we're having church, in comes a bunch of pastors with a woman wrapped up in bedcloth, and they throw her down right in the middle of what we're doing, and they say, Billy, this woman was cheating on her husband. We caught her, which is another thing. How did they find her? What were they doing looking? But anyways, you know, you got to walk out for those people. They go around looking for everyone else's sin but never recognize their own. Yeah, that's not what we're about here at Gospel. We, we look inward first before we point outward. Hello, that's a good one. Okay, so they bring this woman, they put her in the middle, and they, they try to get Jesus to say something. And Jesus just, he, he drops down, he starts writing in the sand. Now, most people, it doesn't say what he was writing, but most people will assume what he was teaching on in the temple was that very law about stoning. So one theory is Jesus wrote down and he started writing Leviticus. And he actually started writing in the sand what he was teaching on. Okay? Be careful when you're in church because just because someone's close to teaching of the word, just because someone's close, like in proximity, doesn't mean they're actually getting it. There's a lot of people that say they're saved, but they live in church as if they're not. Yeah. And our goal as, as followers of Jesus is to make it real for people. So they put this woman in the middle. She's half naked. She had just slept with somebody. And the religious leaders go, what do you say, Jesus? What should we do? And what they did is they tried to wrap him in to saying something they could use against him later. Have you ever felt like that? That someone took one thing you said, one tweet you made, one clip from the interview, and they package it in a way to try to trap you? Mm. Is that not our basic political spectrum right now? Yes. Let's take one little piece and let's try to use it against this person. The best thing about Jesus is he never tried to prove himself to anybody. He says, if you have no sin, you throw the first stone. <laughs> have you been throwing stones at anybody lately? Like, you know what it is. I, I don't know who you've been thinking about or gossiping about or talking about, but a lot of us will pick up stones not realizing what we're doing. Yeah. God says, stop blaming outwardly. First, search inwardly. Mm -hmm. I want to focus on verse 11, and I think there's three things that we should learn from him before we close. Um, verse 11 says this, Jesus asked her, he goes, where's all the people that accuse you? They said, they're not here. And, and she says, verse 11, no, Lord. Jesus responded, neither do I, daughter. Go and sin no more. Everyone say that, sin no more. Sin no, sin no, more. Sin no more. Say it again, sin no more. Sin no more. So Jesus meets her with grace. Yeah, you made a mistake, but I accept you. And then he gives her truth. Now go and live this way. <laughs> Is everyone here with me? Yeah. Okay, grace you're a terrible person. You come into church. There's grace for you. You're a crack addict. You've, you've cheated on your husband. You've lied about finances. You know, I've shared some of my sins with you guys. Like whatever your sin is, it does not scare God. Yeah. So come in as you are. But truth is who you're meant to be. Mm -hmm. So God says, come as you are, I accept you. But truth is who I've designed you to be. Can, can, can I just tell you that if you're going to follow Jesus, it demands that you change. Mm -hmm. We don't like change in today's world, don't we? Mm -hmm. We like to be in control. We like to run our schedule. Mm -hmm. We don't want to give anybody anything that they might, you know, use against us. We're very slow here. 
But when it comes to being a Christian, I'm afraid we're stepping into a day and age where more people think they're Christian because what they believe. Christianity, Jesus said, you're, they'll know you're Christians not by what you believe. They'll say, they'll, they'll, they'll know you're Christians by how you love, and how you serve, and how you give yourself away for something bigger than yourself. And so I'm going to give you three teachings here, three thoughts from this passage. Um, my assumption in these three words, they're going to be a little heavy, but my assumption is you're committed to growth as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian. Okay, just I want you to know my tone off the front because I'm going to talk about three things that have been skewed by the world. The church has kind of messed them up in history. Um, but I'm assuming that if you're listening to this teaching, it's because you want to grow. and you, No one's here going, I want my life to get worse. Yeah. Like, I don't think anyone's here like, huh, I came over on a Sunday morning to my brother-in-law's or I came over for church today or I'm watching online because I don't want anything to change. The reason why we're committed to growth is because that's what Jesus shows us. Um, so three things that we have to commit to if we're going to plan a church. And when I say, like, commit, I mean, like, us. We all have to commit to this. Uh, number one is holiness. We have to commit to holiness. Holiness is a word that's been so, you know, abused in church history. We've used it to scare people. We've used it to make people feel inadequate. You know, when I said holiness, right away, every one of us had an assumption of what that means. Mm -hmm. And holiness, you know, the church has kind of made it as this bar that no one can ever get to. And it's like, oh, I'm never going to be holy, so I guess I'll just keep sinning, or I'll go out and just doing my thing. Um, but holiness is just that idea that you've been designed to be set apart from everybody else. Like, you can't look like the world that you're trying to reach. You can't sound like the world you're trying to reach. I'm not talking about physical appearance. I'm not talking about style and culture. We'll get into that. But I'm talking about you, your spirit has to look different. Yeah. It's just, just, we can't react the same way that other people do. It's just part of the business, you know. It's part of being a Christian. You, you, you surrender your declaration of independence. You surrender that commitment, you know, to be the best you. You say, I want to be like Jesus. That's the goal of our faith, not to be the best me, but to become more like him. So, good. so holiness, uh, if you haven't noticed, we are in a season as a society that's uh, known as moral relativism. Moral relativism. Someone say teach. Moral relativism basically means that it's all relative what morality is. So basically what's right and wrong depends on the person. We say things today like, ah, oh, well, as long as you're not hurting anybody, you can decide what's right and what's wrong. Or as long as, you know, you're being a quote-unquote good person, it's all good. And I just got to say, we're not moral relativists. I don't decide what's right and wrong. Randy doesn't decide what's right and wrong. We can't. Yeah. Naturally, we'll bend the rules towards ourselves. Right. So we're not moral relativists. We're followers. We go where he goes. We do what he does. And here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is always zigging where culture is zagging. What, what when culture is having a, a topic about gender neutrality or when culture is having a thing about sexuality, Jesus is calling us to a deeper level of holiness and consecration. When the world is telling us, let's go faster, let's get more technology, Jesus is saying, let's get stillness, let's quiet ourselves, let's be away. So whenever the cultural move is pulling one way, the Spirit of God is usually pulling the other way. Wow. So as a church, I want to be committed to holiness the Bible says that we're called to be holy because he's holy. If you're stressed about that, how do you get holy? Just look at the one who's holy. What if it's simple as that? What if being holy isn't about how much you do, it's just how much, how much attention you give God? Wow. 
I think that holiness is not about our effort. I think it's about our attention. And in an attention deficit society, that's how powerful your faith can become. God just wants to know, will you give me focus? We can't afford, friends, to move into a cheap Christianity world. Um, skeptics and atheists alike, they know that when people say something about Christianity but they don't live up to it, it puts a bad taste in their mouth. I think the next wave of revival is not going to be big mega churches. It's going to be individual commitment to growth and transformation. So we need holiness. Number two, we need humility. I'll go quick here because humility is one of our core values here at Gospel. We basically say like this, we don't know everything. That's it. That's the thought. Like The reality of being a Christian is I don't know everything. And you have to get to a point where you're okay with that. I love debates. I love trying to prove things. But at the end of the day, how much time do you waste trying to prove to people what you can just be living out and let them see naturally? So we got to get to a place where we're humble. Jesus shows us throughout his life he was humble. You know, he was a pacifist, right? Pacifist meaning nonviolent. Jesus, nonviolent. When you look at his track record, there's no violence there. Just think about that. You remember when Jesus got arrested and Peter pulls out the sword and he cuts the dude's ear off? You guys remember that? If you didn't re- go back and read the gospel, and the, they come to uh, arrest Jesus and Peter pulls out the sword, cuts his ear off, and he looks at him. <laughs> Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on, heals him, and then turns back and goes, Peter, what are you doing? Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. What is he talking about? If that's where you find strength, you're going to lose that strength. So as a church, can we commit to that, that we're going to be humble followers of Jesus? What if there is a resurrection of humility this year in 2021? You know what 2020 was? We all got knocked off our horses. If we're going to have any kind of substantial change in this country and in this world, we have to be committed to humility. Uh, Jesus, there's a scripture in Philippians 2 where the Bible says Jesus was God. But when he died, he emptied himself of that deity. I'm paraphrasing, but what does that mean? Even Jesus, when he was on the cross, he's God. He could have jumped off right away. He could have called angels down right away. But we talked about this last week. It takes more faith to stay up when people are trying to call you down. And when people are calling you up, the spirit's zagging. It takes more faith to stay down. So Jesus had to humble himself. That's why I think we ought to humble ourselves too. And then lastly, as I close... Um, number three is honor, honor. So we've got holiness. Everyone say holiness. holiness. We've got humility, humility. and honor. honor. You know, honor is a lost art in our day. Like honor is, we don't, we don't honor anybody. And maybe I'm being negative, but we've lost honor for, I think 2020 was a year where we lost honor for authority as a country. I think we've lost honor for history. I think we've lost honor for a lot of things. And I don't want you to confuse honor because a lot of people look at honor like grace. Well, it's only dependent on if I want to give it or not. There is a lot of people that I've encountered, even since I've been here in Fredonia, there's a lot of people that aren't worthy. You know, I'm not honoring them because they're worthy of honor. I'm not going to give honor to somebody because they're honorable. I give honor because it's a value in my life. If you're going to be a Christian, 
honor is inevitable. You, you can't just say I'm a Christian but not honor your neighbor or love the person next to you. It's just, it comes with it. There's a principle um, that we can learn from verse 11 of John chapter 8 where this woman sins, she's condemned. Jesus says, go and sin no more. The grace met her. You were wrong, woman. Grace accepts you, but truth redirects you. Say that again. Grace accepts you as you are, but truth is what redirects your life. Grace met me when I was addicted to painkillers, when I was stuck on drugs, when I was doing ecstasy, when I was sleeping around, when I was cheating on people, when I was doing all this stuff. Grace accepted me and said, come on in, Billy, you're welcome. But truth is when the Spirit of God starts saying, you know, you need to stop doing that. What do you mean, Grace? God, you accepted me. No, Grace brought you in. But if you want to find power and purpose and life and joy and all the benefits then we got to redirect you towards what truth is. You know what truth is? Regardless of what we've done, we're loved. You know what truth is? No matter how far we came to get here, there's still somewhere he wants to take us. When Jesus tells this woman, go and sin no more, he was asking her, are you going to honor the grace of God? We were sitting in our house and and we're we're trying to close a deal on buying this house and Randy and I were talking one night and it was so powerful so we're just talking about how big it is. We moved in. We lived in a studio. It was 400 square feet where we came from, and now it's like a house. And I was like, dude, there's just a lot of rooms in here, and like I gotta sweep and I gotta clean, and you like you know all this stuff, and there's just too much stuff. And she said, but wouldn't you like if we're trying to really buy this, we want God to open this door. Shouldn't we honor it now? Like <laughs> Paul said, everything you do, do it for the glory of God. So when I do the dishes, you mean I can be honoring God? You mean when I, when, I, when I take care of my goddaughter for my sister-in-law and say, yeah, go, I got her, don't worry about it. What am I doing? I'm honoring her. I think if this church, gospel church, is going to last and if it's going to be successful in this region, we need holiness, we need humility, and we need honor. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for what you've done today. Thank you for grace and thank you for truth. Thank you that no matter how far we've come, you're here to meet us and move us again. Grace meets us again, God. The truth moves us. Lord, I pray for everyone watching right now. I pray that you would open up their hearts to a deeper level of holiness, not peer pressure, performance, anxiety kind of stuff, but holiness in terms of attention and focus to you. Make us humble and have us walk in honor. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen.